0: Next week, we're going to have a membership class, and we would encourage those who are not members who have been attending here to come and check out uh, what our church is about. Perhaps consider joining our church. No commitments, but come learn about our church next week, as we will be having it at our church office at, um, right after the service. I encourage you to be there. We'll, have, we'll provide lunch for you as well. Let's recap where we were last week we talked about your calling, remember that for those of you who weren 't here, go online, listen to it like what is god 's will for your life? What has he called you and here 's kind of a graph we looked at last week. Calling is kind of a, a combination of your burden and talent, and the, the part in the middle, the calling is your sweet spot, so you take your gifts and your talents, combine with your burdens, and combine those together, and boom, you have your, your calling in life what you 're supposed to do and and what we discovered last week is that your calling, what you're supposed to do in the future, is, is not an HD, as most of us would like it to be in HD. It's more like the slow exposure of a Polaroid camera. Remember that? Took a picture of you. It was great. Someone stole it after the service. Who stole my picture? That's all right. You can keep it. That's all right. I'll let you have it. It's not, it's not of me. It's of you. And so it's a slow exposure of a, a Polaroid it's God's will, but, but check this out. It's not just about calling, and it's not just about your competence and giftedness in life. It's also about your character. Right now, most of you are preparing that competence piece, what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And some of you are, are man, you're hitting your sweet spot. You're in your calling But if you don't have character, it's going to fall apart. We have these dramatic stories of people just firing at all cylinders, doing their thing, they're competent. They They are in their calling, and then boom, it all blows up because their character is off. And it's not just these grand stories you see in the newspapers. It's the stories of you know of your friends and your family. Maybe even it's your story that your heart with the Lord was just not right. And you were great. You were were making some cash. You were doing great. You were being recognized, and then it all fell apart because your character was off. So what I want to do this morning is kind of start with the young kids in here, and I'm speaking to all of you, but I want to communicate to the young kids in here that that their children are in the service and then continue to work our way up to everyone else in here. So hopefully you all can pay attention to this. It's a book. Let me put this book up for you. I don't know if any of you read this. Little Britches by Ralph Moody. It's a kid's book. Anybody ever read this book? Anybody ever read anything about him? Okay, there's some of you. Little Bridges, uh, by Ralph Moody. Now, I have not, so maybe you can come rec- recommend it to me later. But part of the story is a father developing character in his nine-year-old son. That's kind of the, the idea, probably, of this book, if not all of them. And what's, what's happening is he's developing character. He um, He moves to this Colorado ranch where they're ranchers, and apparently one day the son got into big-time trouble. He did something totally naughty and foolish. Now, you know how you are little kids when you do something that's foolish? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know. Uh, And you do something that's foolish, and you're naughty. But get this. This boy in this story lied about it. So not only did he do something foolish, but he tried to cover it up and lie about it. And so the dad wanted to speak about the lie because that's a character issue and here's a quote from the book that i think is great let me put it up to you he says a man's character is like his house if he tears boards off his house and burns them to keep himself warm and comfortable his house soon becomes a ruin a man with a ruined character is a shame on the face of the earth. Can you imagine that? Burning the boards of your own house to be comfortable? Burning the boards of your own character to be comfortable? You have big dreams and you have big goals in pursuing your calling. You're doing it with competence. But I'm telling you, if you don't have this character piece... It's going to crumble. It will. It's just like you reap what you sow. So what I'm asking you this morning, I know we talked about calling last week and that was all exciting, about stepping out into the future. I'm asking you to kind of just for a moment here, put that stuff on hold, put the dreams on hold, put the visions on hold, and just pause for a moment. Consider your heart. Consider your own character. Consider your walk with the Lord. Because what we're going to see this morning is a story of another father instructing his son. And it's ultimately God the Father instructing us as his children. So let's go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. What we have in Proverbs 6 is the father instructing his son, we're still going through the book of Proverbs, And the father has been instructing his son how to walk in ways of wisdom. Here's some basic life lessons as he navigates through life with wisdom. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 19. And I want to kind of give you kind of a, a, rather than giving you an outline this week, I want to kind of give you a a summarizing statement, a title that can fall under certain categories. Let me put it up for you. It's the title of the sermon. It's co-signers, sluggards, scoundrels, and the other seven deadly sins. I'm not trying to be fancy. That's what it's talking about. Cosigners, sluggards, scoundrels, and the other seven deadly sins. And through each topic, the father is going to teach about financial responsibility. And then he's going to train about hard work. And then he's going to finish with talking about some warnings, warning his son as he moves out into the future. And as we go through each one of these, we're going we're to look at what the verses mean. We're going to connect them with us, and we're going to also look to Jesus. So let's start with the first one, and that's co-signers, as the father is teaching some financial wisdom to his son. Look at Proverbs 6, verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge... For a stranger, stop there. The issue seems to be pledging or co-signing to secure the debt of someone else. Perhaps this other person cannot get a loan, and so they need someone else to vouch for them to, 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 to back them up if they default on their debt. And it may be a neighbor who needs to get this loan. It may actually be a stranger who, who may entice you to co-sign for him so that He can get this loan, and you may do it out of compassion. You may do it out of greed. Maybe you'll get some kickbacks. So what happens? They borrow the money. You sign off to back them in case they default. So with a handshake, a verbal agreement, or a written contract, the deal is sealed. But it's often a bad risk because the person could default, and if he defaults, the debt can fall back on the cosigner. Now, this is some, some ancient stuff going on here, so... What I want to do is have you understand this in everyday language. And so I thought, I saw something this week I thought would be a really good idea. Someone else uh, quoted from it. So I decided this morning, I'm going to quote from the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, I've never done that before, so this is going to be awesome. So let me quote from the Federal Trade Commission on co-signing. Get this. You are being asked to guarantee this debt. Think carefully before you do. If the borrower does not pay the debt, you will have to. The creditor can use the same collection methods against you that can be used against the borrower, such as suing you, garnishing your wages, etc. If this debt is ever in default, that fact may become a part of your credit record. As you can see, that putting up security for another may not be the prudent financial decision and if the son has discovered that he has done this handshake this verbal agreement he has co-signed off on someone else's debt he is now to do everything he could possibly do to get out of that agreement look at the following verses starting in verse 2 it says if you are snared in the words of your mouth caught in the words of your mouth then do this my son and save yourself obligate it And each generation has their deal. Each generation is going to have their temptation fueled by greed. Or maybe each generation is going to have their financial thing fueled even by compassion. Because I think in this congregation, more of you will make stupid financial decisions not because of greed, but because of compassion. You actually have compassion. You want to help people financially. And so if someone approaches you and they need help financially, how about this? If you can, just give them money yourself. If they're really need, here, have money. Nice knowing you. I love you. Here's some money. Give it to them. Maybe give them a loan. If you give them a loan of their brother and sister in the Lord, give them an interest-free loan. But don't sign on the dotted line for this huge loan that if they default, it's your downfall. That's what the Bible's warning against. Be generous, but don't be foolish. Do not take on bad risk. Do not take on bad risk. In fact, let the only person who takes on bad risk be Jesus. He took on your bad risk. He co-signed for your debt of sin as he went upon the cross and took the Father's wrath in your place to forgive you and now we're forgiven, and later on we'll sing, praise the one who paid my debt. Let Jesus take on our bad risk, our sin risk. But let's be wise as we move financially with prudence to the future. So that was kind of some teaching he wanted to give his son. And that, that, that may apply to some of you. But then he's going to move on to some more of some training. And so he's going to get a little harsher now with his son. And he moves on to this, this idea of sluggards. So that's where we come down to the, the second aspect here. We move from cosigners to sluggards. Look at verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. So, if you find yourself here, you're a lazy person. Take notice and learn from the work ethic of the ant. Verse 7 Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So, you have this ant, self motivated. She works hard, she prepares her food. I mean, don't you just love to see ants when they're like carrying a big old French fry? It's like, man, are they about to dip that in ketchup? I mean, they are just working hard, gathering their food, following through. They have initiative. They have followed through. Ants are not making excuses. They're actually doing the work, and they're they're pulling it off. So watch the ant, you sluggard. And then he gets even more rebuke to the sluggard. Verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. That's great. So poverty going to come on the slugger like a, a robber. It's not like going to be this ambush. Where they're going to sneak up on the slugger and just jump him. And this, this sneak attack is due to his actions, and it happens little by little. Notice the repetition of the word little. Look at it again. Verse 10. A little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So here's the deal. The opportunity to work presents itself, and each time the hard work is about to get there for the sluggard, he always opts out. He's like, okay, I can kind of do some little piddly things, but when the hard work comes, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, I am now going to opt out of the hard work. And he does this little by little. He dodges the real hard work. And I believe it's just true of human nature that every single one of us in here, we have a sluggard streak. We do. We have these streaks where we just kind of go through laziness. I do, you do. And it's hard to tell because most of us do not lie around all day and sleep. Like, oh, I just want to sleep. I mean, you might want to, but you probably don't do it. We're just going to sleep all day, day after day. So basically... What I'm not accusing you of is I'm not saying you're not busy. Because if I asked you, every single person in here would say they are busy. I don't even want to do a show of hands. Because every single one of you you think you are busy. And I do not doubt that you are busy. But I can say to a lot of you, you are busy because you are lazy. You are using your busyness as an excuse to keep you from doing hard work. Because you're often busy doing the busy work and you're not doing the best work because the best work is actually the hard work and you don't want to do that. And so you will tell me and your friends, you may, I am so busy. Let me just think about it. You know what this looks like in your life at school or at work where you can just be doing a lot of small stuff. You need to do, you, you've got to do it, but you're avoiding the hard work. Yeah? You're avoiding what you have started and stalled out on. You, you just don't want to keep pushing. You had the initiative to start, but there's no follow through. But you're busy. And yet because you're actually lazy, not doing the hard work, your project's not done. And when you get into the real world, when your projects aren't done, they can sometimes fire you, even though you're really busy. If you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, in a sense, you could be burning the floorboards of your own character house, because you're covering up your laziness with busyness. And the same goes with if you're married, or you got a boyfriend, girlfriend, or you, you have kids, Even more busy, right? But you know, sometimes we can be so busy, it can just cover up the important work we're supposed to be doing. We can be busy doing stuff around the house. We can be busy going on dates and going to events, paying bills, whatever. But... Busy couples and busy parents can assume that since they're so busy, they're doing the best work. But often, the busyness is just covering up what you're supposed to be doing because you're lazy. Because it's hard work to sit there and listen to your wife. Right, guys? It's hard work to build into your kids. It's hard work, ladies, to put up with your Sometimes nasty husbands. This is hard work. And if we want to pass over that and say, I'm just busy. You know what? You can have poverty in relationships. And your kids can be just slipping away because you're not doing the hard work. So my brothers and sisters, it's like this. Initiative. Follow through. No excuses. And Maybe you want me to recommend a book to you right now so that you will have initiative, follow through, and no excuses. I am not going to recommend a book to you. Don't go and read about it. All right, I know you want something to do, so here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I want you to go this week because you need to learn. You need to learn initiative and follow through. and You need to learn that, so this week you need to go. Your task is to go and find an ant. That's what the dad says. Go and find an ant. Give the ant a french fry. I don't know. Find an ant. Initiative. Follow through. No excuses. Do the hard work in your relationships this week. Start finishing what you started at work and at school. Initiative. Follow through. No excuses. Go find an ant. Or let's look to Christ. Did not shrug the hard work. Didn't say, well, you know, I came to set you an example. I came to teach you. I came as well to bear the Father's wrath in our place. That's that's hard so that we can be forgiven and empowered to step out and live for him. All right. Cosigners, dealt with them. Sluggards, we dealt with them. Let's move on to the last one. Number three. Scoundrels and the other seven deadly sins. Now he's going to start warning his son in verses 12 through 15 and 16 through 19. He talks about the scoundrel who's a wicked man. He describes him as a, as a dude who misuses his body parts, all of his body parts. He's just using them for wickedness. So we'll see the, the parts of the body used for evil. And he says, you know what, this guy is doomed for judgment because God actually is opposed to him, hates his evil activities. So let's look at his character starting in verse 12. Let's just kind of keep the Bible open in front of you for a little while as we look at these he says, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. He's a liar, deceiver. Verse 13, winks with his eyes, misusing the body parts, winks with his eyes, signals with feet, points with his fingers. This is like, he's like, kind of just like scheming with his cohorts. They're about to maybe ambush something, somebody do some trick, and so he's signaling w- with wickedness. Verse 14, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly in a moment, he'll be broken beyond healing. His heart's off. He's doomed for judgment. Evil plans going to turn back, backfire on him, and suddenly he'll be broken beyond healing. But keep moving on. Let's look at the other seven deadly sins. We saw the traditional deadly sins this past winter. All sin is deadly, but here's seven more. God is opposed to the scoundrel. Stick with me. Verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him, all right? Let's see what God hates, is against. Look at the sin number one, verse 17. Haughty eyes. That's proud eyes, looking down on other people. Look at the second. A lying tongue. Deceitful and unfaithful. Look at the third. Hands that shed innocent blood. That's violence. Look at the fourth. A heart that devises wicked plans. That's he's scheming for evil. Number five, feet that make haste to run to evil. So he's actively engaged in evil. Number six, a false witness who breathes out lies. That's misleading testimony. And number seven, one who sows discord. There they are. That's the skewed character issues going on within the scoundrel. And I would say most of you right now currently are not scoundrels. Has anybody ever called you a scoundrel? If you're a believer, you are a recovering scoundrel. Because Jesus was considered a scoundrel in your place on the cross, and through him we are now forgiving and we are, we are recovering scoundrels. But as we can have a sluggard streak, we can as well have a scoundrel streak. That's where we can veer off into wickedness, into foolishness, and we all have this still going on inside of us where these temptations can be very great. Now, we just covered a lot here in these seven. There's no way I'm going to go over all seven. I don't have time for that. So what I want to do in in this right here is I just want to hit two vulnerable areas, two areas that I think that you and I are vulnerable in because of this scoundrel streak. There's these places where we can be vulnerable, we cannot be on guard, and boom, we can get hit with this scoundrel streak. So I'm going to cover two of those areas And one of them first starts in verse 14. Look at it again. It says, With perverted heart devises evil. Look at verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans. This past week in Texas at a college campus, 14 people were stabbed. Maybe you saw that. And the assailant was a college student who stabbed many of his uh, fellow students. And he said that ever since elementary school, he had been fantasizing about stabbing people. And that comment there makes me think that, you know, what happens within us is evil thoughts start here, and as they're in us, they start to gain momentum before they're expressed. So evil, Jesus says this clearly, begins in our heart, it gains momentum, and then it is expressed. And it's true, we have been given a new heart. The Spirit of God lives in us, but we still have these temptations that can originate within us gain momentum and be expressed and what we need to be very very careful of is what is gaining momentum inside of you right now to get very specific what is your reoccurring thought loop what is a disturbing reoccurring thought loop that keeps going in your head over and over and over again And it's probably not, oh, I keep thinking about stabbing people. That's probably not the case. But what is reoccurring, disturbing thought loop in your head that has yet to be expressed? Maybe you're thinking, you know what? One day, I'm going to finally go off on that person who keeps bothering me. you're thinking that thought loop over and over again. Or one day, I am finally going to cheat on my spouse when I get the opportunity. Or one day... This is a common one. I'm just going to run away from it all. I'm just going to leave my responsibilities behind, and I'm going to take off. Or one day, a reoccurring thought loop is that I'm finally going to give in to my desires. I'm finally going to give in to drunkenness, to gluttony. I'm finally going to give in to immorality. What is the reoccurring thought loop in your mind that's disturbing you? You you, you thought you were the only one that has these, right? No, we all struggle with these temptations that keep coming up over and over again that are trying to be devised in our heart and gain some momentum. And if they get lodged here and they start gaining momentum, one day don't be surprised when those act out. And people will say, I can't believe you did that. And you will say, well, at least you'll know that was there all along. It was just gaining momentum. And it starts within the heart. It's a devising of evil. And my brothers and sisters, what I'm encouraging you to do with those thought loops is not to deny that they are there. But I encourage you to start talking to God about those and say, God, I am very disturbed by my thoughts. God, I am very disturbed about what's going on in here. And I want to encourage you to tell someone else who is a brother and sister in the Lord and say, I have some disturbing stuff going on inside of me. And you know what? Don't be surprised if they say, me too. Because we are in this world, there are these temptations that keep coming up within us. And the worst thing you can do is to not talk about it, not confess it, and just let it keep happening. Because one day, don't be surprised, if it gains so much momentum that it comes out. The last thing on the scoundrel streak that can pop up in our unguarded moments, once again, look at verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. It's like, you know what? God hates these six things, but let me really emphasize number seven. And what is number seven? What's the last one mentioned? It's the person who is continually sowing discord, the one who sows discord among his brothers. And that is a temptation in our scoundrel streak for us to sow discord among people in our family, our friends, our church. Let me put up a great... um, definition of the scoundrel doing this from Dwayne Garrett. He, he says this. He says, the scoundrel is someone who works to undermine social and personal relationships for his own benefit. I really like that word, undermine, because it really describes the very subtle way. You know what I mean? The subtle way people may try to undermine you at work, undermine you at school. You, you feel when, do you feel when someone's trying to Cuts you under to undermine your authority, to undermine your to belittle you, and it off, often comes out through words. It happens in churches, it happens in families where people are constantly trying to undermine you. Don't you hate that? And and sometimes you can see it displayed publicly. Do you, do you ever see, I mean, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, and wife, and you see the way a wife talks to her husband or the, the boyfriend talks to his girlfriend in public? It's like a, it's an undermining, it's like a sarcasm, it's speech that is almost threatening, and you go, wow, if that's the way you talk in public, how do you talk in private? if that's your speech where you're you're trying to one-up someone and undermine them, create disunity, what's going on? Is that the way God has created us and saved us to be so that we can undermine other people with our words? We have been saved to build others up, to let our words only be encouraging, to let our words say, hey, let me lift you up, put the focus on you, encourage you in your walk, say positive things to you, give you words of grace, not words that are going to cut you. That's the words that Christ has put with us. That's the way he has been with us is gentle. Now, as we go through this, I mean, we've seen so much about financial wisdom, character with regards to working hard in these seven deadly sins. I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see is there is another way for you to live rather than burning the floorboards of your own character house. There's another way for you to live rather than just try to get by and make life comfortable for yourself. And, but what you're really doing is just basically burning your own character house. And so what I want to do is I kind of want to leave you with another house metaphor and it's in the book that many of you are studying with our ethos. communities called Continuous Revival. And I'm going to give you another house metaphor that's much better than burning the boards of your house because you don't want to do that. It's this. Pretend your life is a house once again. And in this house, there is a roof and there are some walls. Before you became a Christian, you had a roof that kept you from God and you had walls that kept you from other people. And you lived your life in sin and rebellion against God. But once you repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ and received forgiveness, that means the roof was off. You're like, God, you can see all my sin. I want forgiveness. And when you became a Christian, you didn't care who knew. The walls were out. You're like, yeah, I am a sinner saved by grace. I used to do this. Now I am saved. I don't care who knows of my foolish life. I am saved by grace. So the roof's off and the walls are down. But after a while, you discover that there is a way that you can live as a Christian where you can put the roof back on and you can put the walls back up and you can act like everything is okay. Say, God, I'm good. Other people, you can act like you don't struggle with anything, you don't have any issues, you put the walls back up and you kind of insulate yourself. And you know what happens when you do that? There's going to be a breakdown in your character. You're back to burning the floorboards of your own house. If there's one thing that I harp on more than anything else at this church tends to be you've got to be open with God and you've got to be open with other people. If you want to grow in Christ-like character, you've got to keep that roof off and the walls down. And part of that is confessing before God and confessing your issues before other people. You've got to do that. And if you are not in the consistent community, then you're, you're not doing that. And then you can start to hide some issues, and people say, how are you doing? You can put those walls up, and you say, I am doing just fine. I'm going to stay in this house, and I'm going to start burning my floorboards all over again. This past week, I was meeting with the guys during my ethos community. Our guys and girls break up. We share stuff that's going on, and we try to pray for one another. And I confessed to the guys this week. I said, guys... Recently, I have been very focused on buying a recliner. I know. I've been obsessed with buying a recliner off of Craigslist. Because you know how every guy has to have his chair. And I've never had my chair. And I think, I've earned a chair. And I need to find a chair. So I've been on Craigslist looking for a chair. But... I wondered why I was so obsessively looking for and I realized it's not that I really want the recliner. I want what the recliner represents, and that is peace. And in this stage of my life right now, it's crazy psycho. It's just crazy. And I think if I could get a recliner, then I can have Peace. And I'm confessing this to these guys because the reality is, is that I can buy the recliner. It's not going to give me peace. Christ is going to give me peace. Contentment is only going to be found in him no matter how chaotic the circumstances. And you may think, well, that's a real silly small issue. Yeah, but get this. Tonight, I'm going to meet with my guys again. And I'm going to tell them another silly small issue. And then I'll get to meet with him again the next week. And I'm gonna tell him another silly small issue. And I'm gonna keep telling him what's going on, cause I wanna keep the walls down. And this is what I'm afraid of, is a lot of you haven't done that in a long time, so the walls are up. And you don't have silly small issues. You've got some big things that you need to deal with. You're burning your house down. And you haven't told anybody. You've got big stuff. Well, keep burning your house down. Let me know how that goes for you. Let me know how that goes for your family. Let me know how it goes for your career. I'm, I'm not trying to force you into community because I think it's going to be great. Hey, great, go. No, no, go because it's going to be a mess. But you need to start talking about your stuff. Be open for God. Keep the walls down with open so they can pray for you. They can encourage you. So Go to some brothers and sisters this week with the walls down, and if you've got big issues, say, Here it is. The way we grow into Christlikeness roof off, walls down. Because we don't just want the calling, we don't just want the competence, we want that Christ like character. We want to walk with God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now who are very gifted, very competent. And they're functioning at a high level. But they are they're off. They're off with you. They're off with others. There's something off inside. If we projected their thought loops up on the screen right now, they would be horrified. if we projected some of the things they've been doing with their lives this past week, they would be horrified. Speak to them by your spirit right now that they cannot continue like this. They cannot continue to go on like this by covering things up, by keeping the walls up, the roof on. Speak to them by the power of your spirit right now and show them that you're the one that can heal them. You're the one that can bring them freedom. You're the one that can bring them grace and forgiveness. They do not have to keep living this way. Convict them gently right now. And may you shape their hearts, shape our hearts to where we realize the path to Christ like character is to admit all is not well rather than to lie and to cover it up. May we just say we are recovering sinners, we're recovering scoundrels. And all is not well. That's why we need your grace and your love and your mercy. And may we humble ourselves, Lord, this morning and admit that we need you. Do that work in us now, Lord. Do that work in us this week. Do that work in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.